And Lord, I pray that you would just bless and minister through our time in the Word today, that you would speak to us by your Spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. 1 Samuel chapter 30, title of the message today is Strengthened in God. And I have to just say, I love Mother's Day. It is one of my favorite holidays because I have an amazing mother. My mom um, is just a a great gal. She's here uh, today. And I also, not only do I have an amazing mom, but I'm married to an amazing mom. My wife is a great mom. And so I love that we can, you know, celebrate them today. But, you know, my mom has just always been so others-centered. It's one of the things I've always really appreciated about her. Very kind, very considerate, an amazing servant. I mean, she, I just watched her, her my, my whole life, just serve her family, and uh, she did everything for her kids. And my mom has become a mom to many. I mean, she's a mom to some of you here in the fellowship, and that's okay with me. I don't mind sharing her with you, but uh, she has made an impact on a lot, a lot of people. And when, when, you know, my brother and I were young. I mean, my mom, like a lot of you moms, I mean, they, she was always toting us around to, you know, different places that we had to go. And one of the things that you might not know about my mom, those of you who know her, is that she has a lead foot, okay? Um, she likes to drive really fast. Maybe not so much now, but in her younger days, I think she secretly wanted to be a race car driver. And um, so... And uh, she drove us around in this big green station wagon. It kind of looked like that. And um, that was the first car that I started driving. Imagine me picking you up for a date in that thing. Um, <laughs> wasn't a big winner on the car front, you know, type of a thing. But, um, but I remember one day my mom was taking my brother and I. We were on our way to school and we were running a little bit late. And, you know, she was going for it in that thing. And we hit this dip. And I'm not kidding you. I swear we caught air. Okay. Um, I mean, it was just like crazy in that way. But my mom, just really, really awesome in that way. I mean, you know, we we didn't need to go to Disneyland. We just could drive with mom, you know. Uh, (laughs) But you know, the interesting thing about my mom is that she has this other side to her that I've only seen a couple of times, that mother bear side. And I saw it one day, I was about third or fourth grade, and I was coming home from baseball practice. I used to ride my bike about two miles to the school where we had practice. I'm coming home, and I'm cutting through this neighborhood, and I get jumped by these two junior high-age boys. And they you know, took my hat and took my glove, and they pushed me around a little bit, and they spit on me, and it was just it was gross. It was really, really you know, just a, a, a traumatic time, and I'm riding my bike home, and I'm crying, and I come pulling up into my, you know, the, the garage, and there's my mom you know, doing the laundry, and she looks at me, and she's like, what's wrong? And I told her what happened. And there was no consoling at all. Just with a very stern voice, she just said, get in the car. And we got in the car, and she said, show me where they live. And we drove over to this, these kids' house where they jumped me. She pulls up into the driveway in that big station wagon, and my mom's about 5'1", and she gets out of the car, bounds out of the car, and I mean, she must have looked 10 feet tall to those two you know, boys, and she just let them have it. Mother bear. And I mean, they were just, they gave me back my hat and my glove and $20 and, you know, <laughs> and they were just like, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. We'll never do that again. I think one of them became a priest. And uh, I mean, it was, 
just crazy. And we got back in the car, and I don't think either one of us said a word on the way home. I mean, we just, we, it was a silence, and I was thinking to myself, that was awesome and scary at the same time, you know? <laughs> well, I saw that again several years later when I was 16. And I was coming home one night, and I think my curfew was about 11 o'clock, and I came rolling in about midnight. And, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, okay, my dad used to get up at 2 or 3 in the morning. I'm thinking he'll be asleep, and I'm coming in the door really quietly, and my mom meets me. And she's like, where have you been? And I said something really smart, Eliki, like, just relax. What are you so upset about? And she, like, pushes me against the door, gets in my face. It's her hand raised. She says, she says if you're going to be late, she goes, I can't fall asleep until you get home. So if you're going to be late, you better call. I don't think I was ever late again after that. And you know what's interesting is I have used that same line on my own kids, As I've said to them, you know what, I can't fall asleep until you get home, so if you're going to be late, you better call me. And that's really the point of the message today, is to call mom. Um, No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, but the point of the message is, is this, is the fact that that's what moms do. That's what you moms do. You share things. You pour your life into your kids. And years later, they take what you've poured into them and it becomes a part of them, and they share it with their kids, and they, they share it with others. But, you know, the message today isn't just to moms. It's to any of us here who are parents about the impact that we can make on our kids. But it's not just a message for parents. It's also a message for those of us who are just a part of the body of Christ, that we are brothers and sisters in the family of God and how God can use any one of us to strengthen another brother or sister. Listen, right now, and that strengthening that you do in their lives right now is going to affect them in the future. And even if it's a son, a daughter, a friend, maybe even if they've wandered away from the Lord, that there will come a time in the future when they are reminded of what you did to them and what you shared with them, and it changes everything. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, I want us to look at a scene from the life of David that was really at one of his lowest points. It was during his fugitive years when he was being chased around the countryside by a crazy king named Saul, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. It says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, and they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. And now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. 
because the soul of all of the people was grieved, and every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Let me have your attention. Let me set the scene. This coming Wednesday night, Pastor Jason will be taking us through chapters 26 through 30 of 1 Samuel. And again, we are in the fugitive years. We're in the years where, where Saul has turned on David and David is out, you know, running as a fugitive. He's hiding in caves and living in the mountains and living in the wilderness. And he's basically running for his life for about 15 years. Talk about a long trial. Are any of you in the midst of a long trial and you're thinking like, yeah, it's been a week, it's been really, really hard, or it's been a month? Think about 15 years He has been running from this crazy king. He has been maligned. He's been lied about. He has been, his life is threatened all of the time. And during this time, these 15 years, as it comes to the end, and this where we're at in chapter 30 is toward the end of this time. And and David just gets tired of waiting on the promise of God. He gets tired of, of waiting for, for God to do what he said he was going to do with his life. And basically, he rebels. And during this time, David goes and forms an alliance with the Philistines, the arch enemies of Israel. And he goes to Achish, the king, and he aligns himself with this king. And Achish gives David and his men the city of Ziglag to live in. And David has been living there about 16 months now. And during this time, he's completely out of fellowship with God. He doesn't write any psalms during this time. There's no record of any prayers. He is spiritually at an all-time low. And he spends his days living as a mercenary. He and his men go out invading the enemies of Israel and the allies of the Philistines and because he's, he's raiding the allies of the Philistines, he has, they kill everybody, all the men, the women, and the children in these villages that they're raiding because he's got to cover up the evidence because when Achish sees him, he's like, hey, what have you been up to? And he has to lie and tell Achish, well, I've been out raiding the Israelites, your enemies, when in reality, he was out raiding the Philistines' allies. So David at this point has become a cold-blooded killer. The farthest thing from the king that God has called him to be and anointed him to be. And things hit an all-time low for David when the Philistines are getting ready to go into battle against the Israelites. And David and his men are ready to line up with the Philistines. I mean, think about this. David is going to go into battle against the very people that God has called him to lead. But here's what happens. The generals of the Philistines, they don't like this. And they say to Achis, they say, you know what, we don't trust David. Remember that, you know, top 10 song that was on the radio years ago? You know, Saul has slain his thousands, David has slain his tens of thousands, and they were talking about the Philistines, that he had slain us. And they're like, we don't trust David. We're afraid that if we go into war with him against the Israelites, that he, in the midst of the battle, is going to turn on us, so you need to send him home. And that's exactly what Achish does. Achish says, sorry, buddy, you can't go with us. And you would think in that moment that David would breathe a big sigh of relief and be like, oh, wow, I was hoping I wouldn't have to do that. But in Instead, David is bummed out. He's depressed. 
He's discouraged. He's heading back home and he's feeling like, you know, no one wants me. The Israelites don't want me. The Philistines don't want me. No one wants me. And this is when the Lord is really going to get David's attention. It's 75 miles. It's a 75-mile journey from Gath to Ziglag. 25 miles a day, three days they travel. They're carrying their weapons. They're carrying their packs. And they're heading home. And they haven't been there for a while. And they're excited to be reunited with their families. And they're marching, expecting to come home, to welcome home signs. And as they get to about five miles away, they're picking up their pace. Guys, we're almost there. This is going to be awesome. And that's when they see it. Smoke coming from Ziklag. Up over the hill, and as they get closer, they smell the smoldering. And as they come over that last hill, their excitement turns to horror and despair when they see that Ziglag, their city, has been burned to the ground. And when they get closer, they find out that their women, their wives, their children, they're presumably dead. They find out later that they've been taken captive. And here's what happens. Our text tells us, and I want you to picture this, okay? This is David and his mighty men. This is 600 guys who will become the Navy SEALs of Israel. I mean, 600 guys who become the commandos. I mean, they become guys that go out and kill giants. And it says that they begin to weep and wail, and cry, and it's so heavy that they, they cry until they can cry no more. I mean, there's no more tears coming out of their tear ducts. They have no more power within them. They're just exhausted by their tears. Some of you know what that's like. You've cried that hard. Through something that has happened in your life that just led you to cry till you could cry no more. You know, I'm not a big crier, but I did have a moment about a month or so ago. Some of you might have heard that my youngest daughter, Amanda, just recently got engaged. And she uh, is marrying a great guy named Scott. And... It was several weeks ago now, a month or so, I guess, that her beau, Scott Sanford, um, asked me to go to lunch. We met at this little taco place and down the street, and, and, and I got to say, I, I like Scott. I don't love him yet, <laughs> but I like him a lot. No, actually, I do. I really, really love Scott. He's a great guy. He loves Jesus, and he really, really is good to my daughter. I love Scotty, he's a great young man. But he asked me, he said, you know, can I have your permission? And we talked for a little bit, and I asked him a lot of questions, and, and I said, okay, you can have my permission. And so now they're getting married. They're getting married in September. September's going to be a big month for Savato family. We're launching, you know, the church, we're launching that new campus, and my daughter's getting married, and I'm going to probably die after it's all over, but... But a couple of weeks later, I'm sitting in my office on Saturday morning and I'm, you know, getting ready for the message on Sunday and I'm studying and, and I'm just starting to think about Amanda, sweet little girl. And you got to understand something about our, our family is that, you know, my wife and kids, all of them are, are artistic. 
And I don't have an artistic bone in my body. I mean, it's just, I'm just, can't sing, can't draw. We do those drawing games like Pictionary and that type of stuff. And, and we were playing one recently, and this was my attempt at a rose, okay? Um, if you can see that, you know? It's like, how hideous is that, you know? It's like, um, you know, that was the assignment. Okay, you got to draw a rose. That was what I came up with, you know? But I did discover something that is kind of artistic that I can actually do. How many of you have heard of Pickstitch? Nobody. Okay. A few of you have heard of Pickstitch. Okay. So it's this thing you can do with pictures and you can kind of make, you know, put them together. And so on this morning, I'm thinking about Amanda and, and I'm just going through some of the pictures that I have of her and her and me and her on my iPad. And so I put them together in this little Pickstitch thing. It's like a collage. And this is what I came up with. And, you know, I did that. Isn't that cool? You know? But it was that picture in the left-hand corner, that one. When I came to that picture, I lost it. I literally started bawling. I mean, I, I mean, like bawling. I mean, I couldn't stop. I'm just crying. I'm just crying and crying. I'm like trying to get it together. And I just kept crying for like 10 minutes. I'm just crying. I came downstairs. Denise is looking at me. My face is all swollen. And she's like, what happened? And I just showed her the picture and I started crying some more, you know? (laughs) These guys, they're crying till they can't cry anymore. I mean, there's no more tears. And then it all suddenly changes when one of them says, you know what? This is David's fault. If he hadn't wanted us to go into battle with the Philistines against the Israelites, we could have been here to protect our family. I think we should stone David. And they all start, yeah, let's stone David. And that's when it happens. It's at this point that David finally comes to the end of himself and turns once again to seek the Lord. Look at verse six again, the last part of it. It says, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. Suddenly it happens. David quits acting like a mercenary and he starts acting like a king again. He puts his eyes back on the Lord and he seems to remember in this moment who he is and he turns the attention of his men back to the Lord. David starts acting once again, not like a mercenary, but like a man after God's own heart. And what follows is this heroic rescue mission where every single wife and every single son and every single daughter is rescued and his men, they come back with with this plunder from the battle. It's an amazing story. Pastor Jason will be touching on it this coming Wednesday night. You have to be here. It's one of my favorite stories in the life of David. In fact, if it wasn't Mother's Day today, I would have preached on this. It's such a great story. But I want you to notice the change. It happens after this statement that we read there in verse 6, that David strengthened himself in the Lord. What happened? Well, this is an interesting phrase, and, and I believe it's connected to and even inspired by another event that happened a few years earlier in the life of David, and this is where we'll see today the application to moms and parents and the role that we can play 
in the lives of our friends. So turn with me a few pages over to 1 Samuel chapter 23. Again, this is a few years before this event, still during the fugitive time of David, out in the wilderness, running from Saul. And here's what happens. I'll set it up for you. In 1 Samuel 23, David has helped the people of Kelilah. They were under attack by the enemies of Israel and David and his men come in and they swoop down and they rescue them and, and then David, you know, kind of finds refuge there and they open up their doors and they let David and his men hang out and they're feeding them, they're letting them kind of settle there a little bit and, and this is years before Ziglag, years before 1 Samuel chapter 30, but Saul hears, hey David, he's there in Keilah and he knows that it's a walled in city with gates and so he thinks this is going to be awesome, we'll come at night, the, the door Doors will be shut. David will be trapped. But the problem is, is David finds out that Saul's coming. And so he asks the Lord, he says, Lord, are the people of Keilah, are they going to turn me over to Saul or are they going to stand with me? And God tells him, you know what? They're going to turn you over. They're going to betray you. I know you've helped them, but that's what they're going to do. People are fickle and they're going to turn on you. And so David discouraged, is discouraged. And what he ends up doing is, is he leaves. He has to leave. And he's back out into the wilderness. And this is where we pick it up. Verse 14, 1 Samuel 23. And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the, in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. Think about that. Every single day. Saul's whole focus, he's obsessed with, I got to get David. He wakes up in the morning, I got to get David. After breakfast, I got to get David. After lunch, I got to get David. After his afternoon snack, I got to get David. He goes to bed at night, I've got to get David tomorrow. He's obsessed with getting David, but it tells us, but God did not deliver him into his hand. And so David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the forest, and then here it is. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And there it is. We see that phrase again. Jonathan strengthened David's hand in the Lord. Jonathan is an amazing friend. And when his friend is going through it, he seeks him out during this difficult time. And I want you to consider this phrase, he strengthened David's hands in God. To strengthen the hands means to fasten upon, to seize, to make strong, to repair, to fortify, to make valiant. That's what Jonathan did for David. He helped his friend during this low time become stronger and more valiant. He helped him fortify himself in the Lord. He helped David continue on the path toward his destiny. And I believe two or three years later when David is at his lowest point here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and he is discouraged, and everything is gone. I think in that moment, he remembers back to this time in 1 Samuel 23, and remembers what his friend came and did to him, that he strengthened his hands in the Lord, and David does for himself what his friend did for him two or three years earlier. 
and he strengthens himself in the Lord. I think it's no coincidence that the Holy Spirit uses the same language in 1 Samuel chapter 30 that David strengthened himself in the Lord. It's the same phrase. And you see, that's what I believe that a mom can do for her kids. That she can strengthen their hands in the Lord in the way that she trains them up. In the way that, that she prays for them. And, and years later, even if they've wandered from the Lord, even if they're out of fellowship with the Lord, that there will come a moment in the midst of, of their rebellion even when they remember everything that mom has poured into them and they're faced with a decision. And hopefully they do what David did and they strengthen themselves in the Lord. That everything that mom has poured into their lives, that that it comes back, everything that she's instilled in them. And this is what I think the Lord wants us to do as parents for our children. This is what I believe the Lord wants us to do as friends for those who are our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ is to learn how to strengthen their hands in the Lord, to learn how to be encouragers to those who are around us and in our sphere of influence. And so in the remainder of our time this morning, I want us to see what we can learn from the way that Jonathan strengthened David's hands in the Lord. Look at verse 17. And Jonathan said to David, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. And you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. And even my father Saul knows that. And so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. There's three things that I think that we can learn concerning the way that Jonathan strengthened David's hands in the Lord. Number one, Jonathan reminded David of who he belonged to. He tells David, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. Here's why, because David, you belong to God. You belong to God. You're his. You know, Alan Redpath, who wrote a commentary on the life of David, said that fear is the greatest enemy of our faith. You know, fear can cripple us. It can keep us from stepping out. It can just make us not want to do anything. It can also cause us to do stupid things. But a lot of times we fear because we have lost perspective. And so one of the greatest things that we can do for our kids as parents, and one of the greatest things that we can do as brothers and sisters in Christ for our friends who are in the family of God is to remind them of God's presence with them and remind them of who they belong to. Jesus tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He says to us, here's his promise. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that you can boldly say, or in other words, you can have confidence or you can say with confidence, hey, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? God is on my side. God is with me. I don't need to fear anything. This is what Jonathan is telling David. He's telling him that one with God is a majority. I love what J. Oswald Sanders has said. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. 
It's not the absence of trouble. There's always going to be trouble. There's always going to be trial. Peace is knowing who you belong to. Peace is knowing that just as Jesus was with his disciples in the storm, and just as he was with Mary and Martha in death, and just as he was with Daniel in the lion's den, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and just as he was with David when he went up against Goliath, that he is with you no matter what the trial, the difficulty that you are up against today. And we need to remind our kids, we need to remind each other of our spiritual identity. And you see, the Bible makes it very, very clear that there's really only two positions that we can hold. All of us in this room, are. there's only two places. You are either, listen, in Adam, or you are in Christ. We are either in Adam, what do I mean by that? Well, Adam is the first man. And we're all connected to him, not just as human beings, but the the fact that when Adam sinned, there's there's only been two perfect men who have ever lived on the planet. I know some of you are thinking you're married to the perfect guy, but I've got news for you, he isn't, okay? There's only been two perfect men. Adam was the first. Jesus was the second. And Adam sinned. He blew it. He rebelled. He ate of the forbidden fruit. And when he did, the Bible tells us that all of humanity, every single person ever born after Adam was born with a sin nature, was born with the sin gene, if you would. In other words, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We can't help it. We're in Adam. But the minute a person gives their life to Jesus and opens up their heart to Jesus, something new happens. And they're taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. And our sins are forgiven and our guilt is removed and we are are given a, a new nature in Christ. And in Jesus, you see, Jesus, he is called the last Adam. And there's quite a difference when you look at the two. You see, the first Adam was in a garden and turned from the Father. The last Adam was in a garden and turned to the Father. The first Adam was naked and ashamed because of his sin. The last Adam was naked and bore our shame on the cross. The first Adam's uh, sin brought us thorns. The last Adam bore a crown of thorns for us. The first Adam substituted himself for God. The last Adam was God substituting himself for sinners. The first Adam sinned at a tree. The last Adam bore our sins on a tree. The first Adam died as a sinner. The last Adam died for sinners. Amen. And so you're either in Adam or you are in Christ. And again, There's a difference. In Adam, there is defeat. In the last Adam, Jesus, there is victory. In Adam, there is condemnation. In the last Adam, there is salvation. In Adam, we receive a sin nature. In the last Adam, Jesus, we receive a new nature. In Adam, we are cursed. In the last Adam, Jesus, we are blessed. In Adam, there is wrath and death. And in the last Adam, there is life and love. Amen. And listen, parents, we need to teach our kids who they are in Jesus. They need to know their spiritual identity. It's huge. It's so vitally important. 
And we need to remind each other of who we are in Christ because sometimes our biggest problems are caused by forgetting who we are and who we belong to and who is with us. Jonathan reminded David of who he belonged to, number one. Number two, he, Jonathan reminded David of his destiny. He tells him, you shall be king over Israel. And we need to remind our kids and our friends of their destiny, that they have a destiny in God. And I'm not just talking about heaven. I mean, that's the ultimate, but we have a destiny. Here's how Paul puts it. He, tells, he says of us as believers in Christ that we are God's workmanship. We're his masterpiece in the making, that, that we get to be uh, living expressions of God who is the artist, who has redeemed us and created us in Christ, that he's taken us out of Adam and put us into his son. And we get to now, what, what that means is his workmanship is God saying, you exist for a reason bigger than yourself. You exist to bring me glory. You exist to be a part of my rescue mission. You exist, that, that I want to take your life and, and I want to use it. That's, that Your life is not about making money and being successful and, and getting bigger and better things. I mean, that, that's fine, but it's not what life is about. We leave it all behind, gang. But God gives us, he says, you have, I have a plan, I have a purpose for you. I want to use your life. I want to work in your life. You have a destiny that starts right now, walking with me. You exist for God. Some of you haven't got that yet. And one day it's going to click and everything in your world is going to change when it does. We need to help our kids see their destiny. We need to help our kids see their potential. The Bible tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he grows old, he will not depart from him. Now, that definitely refers to training them up in Jesus, but it also means to train them up according to their bent. In other words, you see their potential, and you pour into that. You see the things they're good at, their interests, and you pour into that. You encourage them in that way. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to do the same. We need to see each other in Jesus and see each other's potential and be encouragers. You know, one of my favorite characters in all of the Bible is Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement. That's who he was. He was just an encourager. I love that guy. At this stage in my life, if there's anybody I can be more like, it's, it's Barnabas, an encourager. I mean, it was Barnabas who, when Saul of Tarsus, the guy who was out persecuting the church and killing Christians and throwing them in prison, he gets saved, and the church didn't know what to do with him. They're like, you know, this is that guy who was scary and radical, and, you know, he threw people in prison. He's had some of our, our brothers and sisters killed. What do we do with him? He comes to Jerusalem, and the apostles are like, we don't know what to do with you, and they send him away. But when God was doing this crazy radical work in the city called Antioch and, and Barnabas was like at the heart of it and Barnabas is seeing all this stuff's going on. He goes, I need help. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to go find that Saul guy who becomes Paul the Apostle. He saw his potential. He saw what, what Paul could be. He saw what no one else saw. And he goes and he finds him and he encourages him. 
And it's Barnabas who, after John Mark bombs out, loses faith and, you know, bails off the mission field, it's, it's Barnabas who, years later, he's getting ready to go on another mission trip, and he goes, you know what, I want somebody to go with me. I, I'm going to go find John Mark, because I think God's not through with that guy. And he uses him, and he, and he brings him along, and, and he sees the potential in others. That's what God wants us to be. For our kids, that's what he wants us to be in the lives of one another. Encouragers. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, in this section where the Lord is talking about living in the last days, he says, this is what we need to be about. He says, let us stir up one another to love and good works. And that word to stir up, it means to stimulate. You know what comes to my mind when I hear that? It's when they take the, the paddles and the I think it's called the EKG, EKG machine. They take those paddles, whatever it's called, and, and they rub them together and they go clear. And then they, you know, they hit the guy and it stimulates everything in him back to life again. And God's saying, that's what I want you to be. That's what I want you to do. Stimulate each other in that way. Listen, you need friends who will stimulate you in your walk with the Lord. You need to be that type of friend to your friends. Jonathan strengthened David's hands in the Lord by reminding David who he belonged to. He reminded David of his destiny. And finally, number three, he reminded David of his allegiance. He said to him, David, you're going to be king, and I will be with you. And you know what? We can strengthen our kids as a mom. We can strengthen our kids as a parent. We can strengthen each other by simply saying, you know what? We're there. We're with you. We are with you no matter what. We are there. It's telling our prodigals that they can always come home. Now, I'm not saying that we condone their sin. Not at all. But it's letting them know, look, you always have a place here. No matter what, you will always be loved. I will always be there for you. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. You know, you really find out who your friends are when you're going through tough times. Because those who are your friends, they're there. They're by your side. And those who aren't, they bail. Those who are like, you know, he's really hard to be around right now. He's always depressed and... Now, you find out who your friends are. In the midst of the fire, in the midst of the difficult times, those who are your friends, they are there. Jonathan wanted David to know, I am with you through thick and thin. Jonathan walked this incredible line of loyalty and love for David and honor to his dad, King Saul. And he allowed God to deal with his dad but he gave his love and allegiance to David, his friend. Jonathan was a great friend and a great encourager who strengthened David's hands in the Lord. And I believe two or three years later, when David's at his low point, These guys are about to stone him. Suddenly it clicks. He thinks back to that moment and he does for himself what Jonathan had done for him. And what we see David doing is David starts to remember who he is. And he begins to remember his destiny. And he starts to act like a king. 
instead of a mercenary. Now here's the thing. I've got good news for all of us because you might think, man, I wish I had a friend like that. You do. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And it's Jesus who, because he loved you, went to a cross to pay the price for your sins. It's Jesus who gave of himself. He he sacrificed himself so that you could be advanced and you could know that you belong and that you could sit here today knowing that you have an ultimate eternal destiny. The Bible calls us partakers of a heavenly calling. And God wants us to know This world is not our home. And Jesus, your friend, your savior, your king, he secured that for you. But as we close today, maybe you're one of those prodigals. And I want to just encourage you today. Jesus, the lover of your soul, his arms are open to you today. In fact, it's amazing. In the story of the prodigal son, it's an amazing story because one of the things it does for us is is it's the only place in the Bible that we ever see God in a hurry. You see, God is pictured in that story as the dad. And when that dad sees his boy coming home, you know what he does? He's running And it was improper for men to do. He's running out to meet his son and throw his arms around him and welcome him home. And if you're a prodigal here today, know that's God's heart for you. Quit your running. Make your mom happy today. Turn back to Jesus. And he'll receive you with open arms. But if you're a mom of one of those prodigals today, I just want to encourage you in this. Everything that you've instilled into them, everything that you've poured into them, there is going to come a day when it's all going to come back. There's going to come a day when they come to their senses and they realize, what am I doing here? This is not who I am. I don't belong here. And hopefully they'll make the choice that David does and strengthen themselves in the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word and for this story. Lord, I thank you for the friends that we can be to brothers and sisters around us, Lord. And I pray that you would help all of us here to be those type of friends, that this church family would be known as a group of people just encouraging each other in Jesus. Lord, we admit that we are not perfect, but we know that we are perfectly forgiven. And I pray, God, that we would be those that shower grace and encouragement that you would stir up within this body of believers, Barnabases. Sons and daughters of encouragement to build up those around us. And Lord, I pray for those here who have a prodigal, that the enemy wouldn't beat them down and beat them up and making them think that they did something wrong. But Lord, they would know 
that everything that they've instilled into that son or that daughter won't return void. And Lord, we pray for those prodigals that they would turn their hearts to you, even today. And if you're here today and you're a prodigal, you know you're not right with God, can I encourage you today to just tell them, Lord, I want to come home. Don't believe the lie of the enemy and thinking that he's through with you or doesn't love you. or he, It's not true. He loves you. He wants to meet you. He wants to do a work in you. And just, just tell him right now in the quietness of your heart, Lord, I want to come home. Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I want to walk with you again. Lord, you are so good. And we love you so much. Lord, I pray again that you would just bless all the moms here today. And that we, Lord, would be those who are strengthening ourselves and strengthening each other in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.